Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pollock and Thurston. I am John Pollock, joined as always by Buffalo's finest, Brandon Thurston, on this Wednesday, July the 5th, a uh, a post-4th of July celebratory day. Brandon, did you have the day off on Tuesday? Did you experience any fireworks, any barbecue? Were you watching any Nathan's hot dog eating contest featuring local Buffalo talent? No, I, I heard about the, the Nathan's contest uh through social media, but no, um, my dog was, uh, very distressed. Not, not, not as bad as usual, but he, he was hiding under the bed at one point. Well, we have a, a packed show to get to you. We are going to be going over a bunch of news and notes on the back half of the show, and we will open it up to your super chats if you want to chime in. But a big guest on the show today, because coming up this weekend, it is West Coast Pros Cruel Summer. And we're going to be going in a bit of a time warp, Brandon, because do you remember where you were on June the 20th? of 2015. I, th- I feel like it's a leading question. I, th- I think I might've been wrestling Chris Hero for ESW at that time. We're going back everyone to ESW Aftershock. The main event might've been two relative newcomers in Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, but the people's main oh, event that right. night was Brandon Thurston in action with our guest today, Chris Hero, who is with us. Hello, Chris. Welcome to hey, the show. Hey guys, John, Brandon. Hello. Great to have you on the show. Do you have any memories of June 20th, 2015 at ESW Aftershock with the young Brandon Thurston? Uh, I remember Brandon had a whole bunch of lackeys. Yes. yes I remember did. I kept knocking people off the apron. Yes. Yes. I don't know if you remember the etiquette here, but Chris offered his hand at the beginning of the match and Brandon spit in your hand. He was not <laughs> going to engage in any mutual respect as uh, you two got into combat, uh, which ended via a tombstone pile driver that Brandon took. <laughs> So Chris Hero <laughs> prevailing that night. We will see if he prevails uh, today. There we go. It's great to have you on, Chris. And, uh, you know, we wanted to chat a bit about sort of your role uh, with West Coast Pro that you've been involved with uh, for, for some time now. And it's, it's a big show coming up. And these cards, month after month, they jump out with a lot of interesting names that are coming from all over the place to San Francisco. And it seems that this is you guys are really carving out a pocket for yourselves on the independent scene every month with these unique matches and different talent. Yeah. Uh, in my short uh, amount of time with West coast pro, I'm already very proud of, of what we've done both as a locker room, but then also uh, how we present it to the audience. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's independent wrestling is hard. It's very yeah. hard to, stand out uh because i so those shows that we used to be on in 2014 15 16 whatever we were kind of ahead of the curve you know there were there were your like local bubble indies right that are like mainly focused on local people you know people that broke in there people that trained people there um, they have their built-in audience, uh, and then you have your quote-unquote super indies that would, uh, you know, fly in people and, you know, audiences get to see people from um, West Coast, East Coast, uh, the South, et cetera. But now everybody's kind of caught up, <laughs> yeah, right? And they're just, um, you know, with the massive uh, signing of all the talent, right, that, that happened, Um between NXT and then also a brand new company that started up and just, you know, signed everybody else and, um, you know, internationally just introduced all kinds of people. Uh, these locker rooms, um, they just changed. Right. And, and then that was exacerbated by the pandemic and you had a lot of young wrestlers, um, 
that ended up being like, um, I, this, I, this is going to come off, sound a little more derogatory than I mean it, but you have a lot of fatherless children running around on the independence. And basically what I mean is they just did not have the locker rooms that we came up in. It was a little bit more difficult. And then also to work for, you know, almost two years with no real live tangible audience, um, just very, very difficult. Um, so now just the athleticism has increased. I, I remember uh, my first match was in 1998. That's how long ago it was, right? And those shows, you would maybe have one match that had like one house show dive, right? Like there'd be like one match that would be like, oh, these guys uh, like the WCW Cruiserweights or they like ECW. And the rest, you know, would just be good old fashioned pro wrestling, pro wrestling if you will. Now it's like every match has these insane athletes um, that are just trying to keep up and do what they can. And it's, I don't know, man, just the, the action, the physicality has just increased tenfold. And then you have your touring top end independent wrestling names that just travel and, and work everywhere. Um, so you take um, like a WrestleMania weekend or a WrestleMania week rather, and just you see all these graphics for these promotions and you're like, oh, my God, that match is crazy. Wow, look at that one. Oh, this guy's coming over from Japan. Like, oh, OK. Oh, this person's making a comeback. Wow, wow, wow. And then that weekend happens and you're kind of like, wait, what just happened? Like, what do I remember? And there aren't a lot of things that stick. Um, so coming to West Coast Pro, uh, I had been there for a signing and a seminar in February of the of the year prior, and I just uh, I don't know, man. There was just a little something special about the vibe there, just a different kind of energy. Um, the audience, the locker room, um, you know, Scott that runs the place, and I just felt like, man, I I would like to do more stuff here. So Scott and I entered into some conversations. We kind of maintained contact, had a couple chats back and forth, uh, and then it just kind of made sense uh, this year to kind of jump in head first and, and do some stuff. And it's not, I mean, like I said, it's so hard to stand out. Mm -hmm. uh, so what can we do differently and what, what can we control? Right. So it is, you know, coming up with fresh matches, coming up with um, interesting, you know, bringing in some interesting international people that you wouldn't normally see. Uh, let's capitalize on the, the audience that we have. That's, just live and excited and just, just a fresh, a fresh audience. And then what younger people do we have? What local ish locals and local ish people can we develop over time and just um, kind of foster their connection with the audience. And you know, the, if you, if you look at the history of West coast, this October will be the fifth anniversary. Uh, the people that were kind of built up in West coast have gone on to, you know, bigger things. So we're going to take this crop that we have now and just, push them and, and, and see what happens. So I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of that. And I'm still excited about trying to, you know, figure out the, the formula for what's, what's going to be that for West coast. Yeah. And I see you've got a number of dates ahead of, ahead of time, people like Kenta Kobashi coming over. Um, yeah. <laughs> like how, how far, how, how far out are you, are you booking the shows right now? Um, we have, you know, it, it's, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty standard, right? So like, um, We've, we obviously know what we have coming up this, this weekend. Uh, then we've got the cup, right? And we have a, a loose idea of 
we we don't have it nailed a hundred percent down, but we have pretty much you know what we're doing and and who all's in it. Then we go into the show, the the debut in Los Angeles, right? So it's like okay, you know we're gonna have slightly different talent on that show because it's located in L.A. And then then we've got October, which is our anniversary show, which you mentioned. Kobashi will be there. Uh, Masato Tanaka will also be there. It's it's crazy. Um, so. We don't have those shows 100% nailed down, but we have like a, a guideline of what we're shooting toward because independent wrestling changes so much and the availability and the health of, of our wrestlers, um, you can't just go 100% all in six months in advance because your show will change three, four times by then. So uh, I think we just have a, we have a good enough mix of uh, the broad strokes of what we want. And then as the show nears, uh, we start working on those details and try to gluing it, glue everything together and, you know, maybe add some last minute stuff that we think will, will add something to the show. You go back to trying to stand out and that seems to be such a consistent, uh, struggle I hear among uh, people that, you know, you have so much accessibility now for every pro wrestling promotion under the sun and, it's not uncommon this generation that we're in now that you can go and find a talent's first couple of matches online. They are being brought, they're being broadcast. It's great for a fan that has so much accessibility. Do you like that for the performer? Imagining yourself in 1998, that here is a audience that could be streaming your, your first matches and you're under that, that spotlight almost from day one. Yeah, that is. It, I, I, it's not a complete detriment, but it does uh, stunt your growth a bit when you don't, you don't have the freedom. Uh, you don't have that um, relaxed nature of your, what your first couple years of pro wrestling should be. It should be going out and trying stuff and learning how to feel it. Um, I think that is the the biggest difference between, Myself, when I started and the people that were already in the business had, had worked like the tail end of the territories, right? They just had a, a certain innate confidence because they had wrestled so much in front of so many uh, people, so many audiences, so many towns. Uh, and they just, I don't know, they just knew what they were doing. So when I started, I'm like, okay, well, what moves do I want to do? What do I, oh, what's this, whatever. And then very quickly you, you find out that what measure, you know, what you create in your head doesn't always translate to a good match. Uh, and then it's a comp, it, then you have to like, all right, well, how do I thoughtfully come up with a good match in my head and then let it organically develop in front of a live audience and see if they like it, see if I need to change it. Uh, and then it's also just being in tune with that audience and having the confidence to, to change things. Right. So now, um, you know, everybody wants to just have the best match possible, right? They want to do this stuff they've been working on in training. They want to uh, do this stuff they've uh, watched on on YouTube now, or, or whatever whatever their uh, method is of of getting this. And they just want to have a great match, but you forget about the live entity that is a an audience and how to capitalize on that and how to use that to your benefit. Uh, and then you know you go back. Gosh, those Brandon, I'm sure you you remember back to your first two years in wrestling. It's like 
you, your first match is your first match, right? And then six months down the road, you're like, oh, I think I'm starting to get the hang. And then like another six months down the road, you're like, man, I didn't know anything. Now I, whatever. There's just so much progression that happens in this first couple of years of wrestling. Yeah. And they're that- locked away on VHS tapes somewhere. So now we can see. <laughs> so you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have a bad first impression with someone, right? So it is important, I think, for promoters to, set their talent up for success um, and not overexpose them right away. It's really hard, right? Um, we look throughout the history of pro wrestling and you have some, some talent that are just that had incredible rookie years, right? Um, it's so hard though. It is, it's so, you know, you go through so many different changes mentally and physically that these, these guys and girls just need to go out in front of live crowds and lock up <laughs> And wrestle around a little bit, do a couple spots, and then go home. Uh, and then go back to the drawing board and see what worked and see what didn't work. Now, uh, you go over to IWTV and it's like, which of these 11 shows would you like to watch tonight? You're like, oh my God. One, how do I choose? But then also, how many people are going to be watching me? Like, oh gosh. Uh, so we can do more in the way of providing an environment for talent where they feel um, empowered to like, you know, try and fail um, while also not giving them too much pressure so that it's, you know, causes them too much anxiety in their, you know, just in their heads all the time. Because if you're in your head, uh, it's really hard to feel what you're doing out there. And I think the best, the best of the best really have that feel for an audience. Do you remember around the time that you, sort of it started to all click to you and it's sort of you know observing the matrix you sort of see like all these building blocks and finally you're starting to see the bigger picture do you like how many uh, years do you feel until you were in that comfort zone i mean i feel like i i feel like once a year for my first like 10 years i thought okay now i've got it <laughs> and then there's some kind of a reality check that happens where you're like oh that was the missing key and then you get that missing key and you're like okay cool and then you're starting to feel good about yourself and you're doing and then something else happens you're like oh my god i don't know shit um <laughs> i so there are just different stages of that i remember having a match for iwa mid south in like the summer fall of 2000 against Bull Payne, right? Mm-hmm. Bull Payne was one of the veterans I was on shows with a lot back then. I learned a lot from being around Bull and working with Bull. Um, this match that we had was uh, 30 minutes. And I remember that unlocking something in my brain like, wow, I can go 30 minutes. All right, man, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but it was, it wasn't, um, it was the pace of the match and it was the audience and it was just a very, the IWA Mid-South audience, especially back in the early 2000s, was some leftovers from like the USWA territory. Uh, but then you also had some younger fans that liked, um, liked guys you would see on the tapes. They'd like, to, they'd like Reckless Youth or, or, um, you know, some of the ECW names that would come through. They'd be fans of them. Um, but so I, I had a light bulb go off when I, when I wrestled him. It was like, Oh man, I can have these long matches. And then also, not every move, every movement is called in the back. Um, and then you can just sustain an audience by good guy, bad guy, right? And then how can I do my stuff 
but then also stretch it out so that the fans enjoy it over a period of time. Um, so then that obviously created a monster because that was my first longer match. And then I would go on over the next couple of years to have some ridiculously long matches. Um, some hold up, some do not hold up. Um, but it's just, it's that trial and error, right? But that so became that- such a big calling card at the time. Like to me, that was where, you, you know, your name is getting out there. The newsletters mm-hmm. are covering it very heavily. And I would state it's it's the 92-minute match with Punk that seemed yeah. to be, that was a pretty transformative one that in terms of the, the attention of what's going on down here at IWA Mid-South, <laughs> that stuff that they are clearly like, here was a blank canvas to go out and you had the freedom to try out stuff like that. Yeah, and we had the audience that was uh, attentive and into it and... You know, you, 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 you don't really know an audience that's with it until you have an audience that's not with it. And then you're like, Oh my God, this is so painful. Right. What do I need to do differently? Um, but that was just such a funny era because, okay. So let's go back to 2001. There was a show. I believe I was the IWA champion. Uh, there was a show that Ian was not present for. He had another booking. So he sent someone else to, he had someone else to run the locker room. And I made a joke about my match going an hour. I just, you know, made a joke. And then it was one of these nights that, you know, maybe 50 fans there, maybe 75 fans. I don't know. Maybe 30. I, it's somewhere in the range of 30 to 80 fans in the show. Uh, and I was like, well, you know what? Let's try it. The more we started talking about it, it started as a joke. And then we did a finish at like 59 and something. Right. Um, and then when Ian found out about this, he was furious. Uh, and then he was like, all right, well, I'm going to have you do more of these. <laughs> so then, then, uh, you know, I ended up having, uh, you know, some other matches that were 40, 50 minutes that the tables and ladders match that Punk and I had in February 02. That was the one that, you know, we're leaving the building. So we're like, oh, let's, let's destroy the building. Let's do some stuff, whatever. And we didn't mean for that match to go long, but that match ended up being 45 minutes plus. And then that created a thing later that year. He and I had an hour draw. And then around the anniversary of that tables and ladders match, we had the two out of three falls with a 90 minute time limit, which, uh, I remember reading about something at the time, I th- I think, and I haven't been able to go back and find it. So, you know, our brains play weird tricks on us, right? I thought there was a match between Nagata and Osamu Nishimura that was set with a 90-minute time limit as a gimmick. I remember reading. That's how it is in my brain. That's probably mm-hmm. not exactly what happened. And I just thought, oh, that's a cool gimmick. Like, you have a 90-minute time limit, right? But, like, you're not going to go 90 minutes. But it's just the time limit is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, so up until that day, we were not going to go 90 minutes. And then we both got there and we're like, hey, let's 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 do 90. <laughs> wow. Right. So and then we did 90, you know, with, it was two out of three falls. And then we ended with a double pin on one of them. So we had to go to overtime, man. So we had to go. We had to do 92 and whatever minutes. So. I know. On a match that may not have ever existed, like that match never happened, and it may not—I don't know—my brain may have just created up, created something in in 2003. Who knows? I don't know how it happened. Yeah, when I was looking this up this week, uh, with everyone, you know, with the with the Punk Joe match coming up this week, like the famous trilogy of 04, they kick it off with a 60-minute draw. The night before that first match, you and Punk do 
61 minutes in IWA Mid South. So it was like back to back nights for, for Punk there. So you were, you were getting him in a, in ready shape for that first Joe match. That yeah. Year. Yeah. It was a, it was a different landscape. It was a different audience, different time for sure. To, to go back to what you were saying a little while ago about how, yeah, I would, I would say, you know, during the mid 2010s or so, the Indies were really benefited from a lot of this talent that was out there that was not signed. And, you know, we, saw things like, you know, evolve, become more popular in PWG and things like that. And I remember, you know, NXT or WWE was starting to sign a lot of these wrestlers off the indies, which they had not done before, taking a lot of that really talented, those really talented indie workers away from the indies. And there being like a, a worry that there won't be as much great talent for new talent to work with and therefore become better. And I guess like, the, my my assumption was that nah, it's inexhaustible. They'll, you know, new people will come up and and get better and replace them. Um, and now, as you kind of mentioned, AEW has come up and I, I was counting this morning, like signed 150 wrestlers are on their their roster page right now. So, I mean, has is there still like in in your view a, a lot of wrestlers to work with, enough wrestlers to work with to become a really good indie wrestler if you're coming up out of a school? I think there are. I think talent will always come to the surface. Um, that doesn't mean it won't be more difficult or you really have to kind of search them out or, um, it, I, I think talent will, they, you know, they'll always rise to the surface, especially when you look at what is hot and popular in wrestling and what kind of, um, trends they're following, right? So now we have people breaking into wrestling that their first exposure to, in, to, to pro wrestling was AEW, right? There are people that are, that are training because they saw, uh, you know, there, there will be people that will have been inspired by that Osprey Omega match that will be like, I'm going to find a wrestling school and train. Um, and that's, that's just mind blowing, right? To like think of what we grew up watching, uh, you know, what we, when we got into it, um, you know, what our inspirations were. And then, now it's, it's such a, it's so futuristic. It's 25 years in the future and there are, you know, two national wrestling promotions again. Uh, and just the, the more wrestling that's on TV, you would have to think like, Oh, there's just, it's not the talent that's out there now. It's the talent that's going to be out there in five years and the things that they've seen and just also just culture as a whole. Um, <laughs> You know, what are, how are these people going to progress as wrestlers? What kind of stuff are they going to do in their matches? What, uh, what is, what are the trends that they're going to follow? So, um, it is tough and I'm such a, I'm so locked in to like the history of pro wrestling. And, um, I know there's some that, that really enjoy it. Uh, you know, when I, when I tell them stuff or, or whatever, and I'm sure there are some that are probably annoyed that just indulge me, but it is really hard to not overwhelm people with the history of this and the knowledge of that and whatever. Cause I'll, I'll see a young talent that does something and I'll be like, that reminds me of this. Oh, you haven't heard of this person. Well, let me tell you a couple things about this person without overwhelming you and seeing your eyes gloss over. Right. Uh, I had that a lot at the performance center where it's such a weird environment where, because you have the people that have eat, sleep, breathe pro wrestling since the moment they were born. And then you have people that are just 
you know, they weren't fans. They had a, had something that attracted WWE to them and they got contracts and, you know, you, you can't, you can't hold it against them, right? There's a thing inside you that wants to be like, you don't even like to do this. Like what, you know, but at the same time, some of the best pro wrestlers, uh, didn't want to pro wrestle, right? That's the history of Japanese wrestling. You had guys like, um, you know, Giant Baba and Inoki and such that didn't like, I want to be a pro wrestler. It's this thing that existed. It's like, no, I was a baseball player and it didn't work, but I'm going to use my skill to my greatest of abilities, right? So it created this, um, I don't know, this just different fire inside of someone that came into wrestling from outside of wrestling. And now you have like the wrestlers that, their careers are tributes to previous pro wrestlers, right? So it just creates like a different kind of a clash, right? Um, but w- what I'm saying is I have all of this in here <laughs> and I don't want to, uh, you know, put somebody off by trying to tell them too much or giving them too much homework or in that you just, it's, it's like coaching, right? You can't coach all talent the same. So you have to find something that resonates with someone and then hope that when they go home on the weekend and they scroll something, they'll put in a search of something that came up in a conversation with you. Right. But you can't hold it against them if they don't do that because everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. Right. And all the access to footage that we have now that we didn't 20 plus years ago, uh, it is so, I don't know. It's just this gut thing inside of us. that's like, you don't know what you have. You don't understand it. I had a fourth generation copy of this and I never got to see the end of the match because the tape ruined. Right. Um, now it's like you're watching matches that haven't even happened yet. Somehow they're streaming it from the future and you're like, wow, this is incredible. Eh, let me fast forward. I don't really care. You're like, Oh man, this it's just a, a different environment, a different culture. So you have to like find the people that really that really have a knack for it and that really have that that passion to like just zero in on these things that will make them you know the future of pro wrestling that'll make them the the big stars because they figured out whatever that one thing was you mentioned the performance center and one of the talking points that i've I've been hearing lately is you look at the, the wrestlers who came to, to WWE without any wrestling experience, those who've gone on to spend a lot of time on the main roster, it, it's only a handful. I, and so I'm just wondering in your experience, is there something about the performance center that could be improved to, I mean, they have all the resources in the world. Apparently, is there something that could be improved to make that process more efficient to get more great talent coming out of the performance center? So I feel like that question's a bit of a trap <laughs> because <laughs> I have a very high standard of, like I said, all these resources that we have at our, our disposal now, like it's, it's incredible when you have a billion dollar facility, right? You have, there's no excuse to not provide every, every, everything possible for someone that wants to be a pro wrestler, whether they were a fan of pro wrestling and they want to capitalize on that love, or they were a freak athlete um, and how can you channel that into becoming a great pro wrestler or a great sports entertainer, if you will? Same thing. Maybe it's not the same thing. Or can you take someone that just has crazy charisma and jumps off the page? And how can you take that and put it through a pro wrestling channel? Right. Just there is no excuse for that facility not to have every advantage. Um, and I feel that. They have some of those things. 
Uh, but they could really, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot more they could do because of, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there is a budget, right? I'm sure that it's, they don't have the billions of dollars that WWE has. Um, but I still think there are it's a lot better than like where, where I trained in a, in a warehouse. Yes, of, somewhere, co- of course, <laughs> of course. But when you think about, you think about professional sports, right? You have 28, 30, 32 franchises that all have these quote unquote performance centers, right? And you hear about teams losing people because they don't have the best facilities or they don't have the best staff. So it's like, well, this, um, here, so here's a great example. Um, I, I'm a fan of the WNBA, right? So the owner of the Raiders is Mark Davis. Uh, he owns a team called the Las Vegas Aces. And in the WNBA, there's a salary cap and, you know, they make peanuts compared to NBA players and such, you know, the, whatever the revenue that the WNBA brings in as a whole and has been in the red for whatever years. Right. So they could, they only have so much, um, that they can play around with money wise to get talent. Um, so Mark Davis was like, all right, I'm going to hire Becky Hammond as a coach and I'm going to give her a million dollar deal. You know, she was getting courted by, she was an assistant on Greg Popovich's San, San Antonio Spurs staff for years. She interviewed for some people, never got a head coaching spot. Then she, she went to the WNBA, got, you know, the highest paid coach in WNBA history. Then he created this facility that's like, oh my God, this is, this is incredible. Like the resources that they have that some of the other franchises absolutely do not. So where he can't pay them in salary, he can provide, provide like an incredible coaching staff that doesn't count against his salary gap. And then also these incredible facilities that made people go, wow, let's go and see what's going on in Vegas. And their first year uh, with Becky Hammond as head coach, they won the championship. Right. And now they've maneuvered some players around. They, they lost one player and they gained another all-star. So they're like a super team. They've only, they're, I don't know, what are they? 15 and one so far this season. So they're off to a great start. Um, so it is, it's possible for those other teams to create facilities and hire these great coaches. And some of them do have great coaches, uh, but it's clearly an advantage to go there because you're going to receive things and be in an environment that is different than other places. Right. So you look at the performance center, right. And then you can measure it up against FCW or deep South or OVW or, UPW or HWA, these other developmentals that have come through and, uh, they, you know, a lot of those places had humble beginnings and then had the WWE gloss kind of put on it. Um, now it's, God, there's really nothing stopping them from getting incredible, like a, a schedule of guest coaches from all over the world. Uh, and, you know, they, they did have plenty of guest coaches when I was there, but like, there should be a steady diet of these, these knowledgeable, uh, incredible talents that have come through to just to come and sit and talk with people. But what happens is people get there to guest coach and there is no primer for any of the talent. So these people that have done incredible things in the business will walk in that arena and people won't know who they are. Mm-hmm. They won't have been. You know, I when I had a class at the performance center, I tried to give people a heads up and be like, "Hey guys, 
Um, Chris Sabin is coming in as a guest coach next, next week. Um, here's what he did. Here's where he's from. Here's a couple of links to some things. You know, it wouldn't hurt to do, you know, an hour of research on the weekend so that when you see him, um, you can have a, a context to who he is and what he's done. And, um, especially somebody like Sabin who's modern, right? Sure. And has his finger, his fingerprints are all over today's wrestling, right? Um, but, something gets kind of lost in translation where they'll bring people in, but they won't set the table for them in, in a better way that talent can learn from them and build relationships with these people. Right. Uh, of course I'm speaking to stuff that happened three plus years ago because I've been gone for a while, but I, I know how it is. Um, and I know they do a lot. I just think they can do more. I just think there should be, Nothing that they that they don't have access to there, and then also it's the whole different people learn different ways. So how can we get through to this talent differently than we can get through to this talent? So is it mainly it's a philosophical difference about how they want to to teach people. You think, or mm, I think they have. Hmm. Hmm. Not so. I'm not so sure it's philosophy. I think it's more along the lines of. Um, we need people for TV, so let's get people for TV, and then let's not worry about all the other anything, stuff. anything else. Let's get these people able to do this, and then do that, and then hopefully along the way they'll pick it up even more. I I always know that they always wanted more than a hundred people at the performance center. That's what we were kept kept hearing, like, oh, we want this, and they probably have it. They've had it off and on throughout the years. Because it's a, I think it's just a law of averages, right? It's like if you put a hundred people in that building, right? You're not going to get 50 stars, but if you get five stars, 10 stars that actually move the needle, good. That's but then 80 of those people fall through the cracks and you don't know what could have been or it's not even what they do with their career. It's the butterfly effect, right? It's who, did they, you know, did when their when their time at the performance center was done and their time at the main roster was done, are they going to go back out into the wrestling world and repopulate, right? Are they going to create new schools and new habits and new uh, just philosophies of how wrestling could and should be, right? So there are a lot of people that came through developmental over the years that left. You know, just and for personal reasons or whatever, that just never stepped in a ring ever again. Um, and it's a matter of, you know, are you making wrestling better as a whole? You know, um, you know, that's maybe that's not an operative. Maybe the operative is just to get people ready for television and have good television matches, which I understand. But there's also a, you're also creating your own future, right? Of if you if you release people back into the world with you know the ideas I just I felt so bad for so many people that worked so hard that never got to enjoy it because they never got to feel it and it's like ah oh, you're so close if you had a little bit more time if you had a little bit if your matches had a little bit more time if you were in there with different people you could really see, you know, see what it is that we all love about this so much. And it just will just completely change somebody, right? Because we've seen talent like that over the years that 
you know, they're just kind of here for, for the longest time. And then something happens and all of a sudden, boom, top of the business. You're like, wow, what, what was it? Right. A lot of people have this ability to be unlocked, but it's just a matter of figuring out what that is. I don't have the, the recipe for it, but I just know that you can better prepare people for success by giving them as many options as possible. We won't keep you uh, too much longer here, Chris, but do you feel that there is still that pathway out there for some talents that can get into the industry and go to Japan for a year that could go to Mexico that can go to Europe? Or is that time going to be so shortened that once you get any kind of meaningful attention on yourself, it's going to be one of the big companies that are going to be grabbing someone like you. It's, it's instead of, you know, an eight year journey to get that big contract. Yeah. Now it might be two years and you're getting picked up. Whereas, you know, for a lot of people, they, they were able to kind of learn all these different styles and then go and the masses see them. Yeah. I think it will be possible. It'll be more difficult, of course, but I think it's still possible. We're still in the first five years of AEW. After about five years, you kind of see, um, certain trends and things kind of level out a little bit. And then um, they'll kind of decide roughly what number of people they want on their roster. And uh, maybe, maybe not, who knows. Um, but then once things settle a little bit, then, then other things can kind of sprout up and grow and kind of fill the spaces that are left. Um, so I think, there, I, I feel like there are just more and more schools now. There's more and more opportunities. Um, they, you know, people online love to talk about the casual fan, right? Uh, but Brandon's there are, term. yeah, there are people that will search. And I, I do these seminars, right? And all my seminars, uh, oftentimes I'll ask people how they found out about the school or they found out about, you know, how'd, how'd you hear about it? How'd you decide to come here? And some people will just be like, I just put wrestling school in on Google and this is the one that came up. So I went there. You're like, wow, okay. That's, that's how it worked. But prior to that, they didn't, they didn't have like a half dozen schools and be like, all right, what are the pros and cons of these? They're like, oh, there's one right here. Let me go. And then they check it out and then they break into wrestling with no like prior. Uh, knowledge of what the hell's going on, right? I feel like that was my journey when I started because I got back into watching wrestling in, in 97, late 97. And then summer of 98, I'm training to wrestle. And then by the fall, I'm having matches. So I was discovering wrestling on the internet at the same time I was training. So I just was learning as I was going, you know, I, uh, now it's, there's so much more stuff that's available that you can kind of prep yourself for. And you can have a couple years of like smart fandom of knowing this Japanese promotion or this independent promotion or these wrestlers on TV and their history. And then now you're in wrestling. It's like, no, I'm literally, uh, watching, you know, watching these tapes and then like, trying stuff at training and then I'm on shows with like these same guys like a year later. Right. Cause you know, ECW closed, WCW closed. Um, I, I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but I do think that things will settle and talent will, will come to the surface and it'll be different, interesting talent. I'm, I'm hoping. And all we can do is just create the best environment for them possible. And then, 
again, it's not overwhelming them with information because there's so much fucking cool pro wrestling history out there. There's just so much that you want to be like, Oh my God, here, listen to me talk for six hours about this. Right. But you're not going to, you're not going to get everybody like that. You're going to find people like that over time. But you have to find what resonates with them and what they can latch on to. And then you just never know. These people that are coming in that are unassuming are going to change the wrestling business. You just you just don't know it yet. It's going to take a little while. We'll get all the – go ahead, Brandon. You said another is you're waiting for the right thing to come along before you maybe get back into wrestling. Mm -hmm. You've been doing some coaching uh, with AEW recently. Just wondering how how that's been going or is is that something you might do more long-term? So, uh, the coaching slash producing aspect, uh, is something that I really enjoy. Um, and it's, again, it's different. Um, it's like, you know, you coach people, different people, different ways. Right. So, uh, sometimes you're just a note taker, like, okay, what are these guys doing? Boom. Let's try to make sure that the cameras get it all. Uh, let's make sure the production knows what's going on. Someone's coming in through the crowd, et cetera, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, and then sometimes it's a collaborative effort where you are sitting there with people and they're stuck on something and then you like, hmm, how about this? How about that? Whatever. Uh, and then it's, like I said, it's a collaboration. Um, I love all of that. Um, I feel like there's just, I mentioned this earlier, there's so much in here that's just forcing its way out and I have to control it to not, uh, I don't know. I just, you don't want to annoy people, right? You want to help and encourage. You don't want to just make them see you and be like, oh, right. Um, so Plant that's something they're not worried about annoying people. They, they yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I did a bit of this when I was in NXT, I was on the headsets a couple times. Um, and then there's a group in Pittsburgh called IWC, right? Um, Last year, I came in and produced about eight or nine shows, something around there for them, where I'd write out a format for the whole show. Uh, we'd look at all the segments. We'd kind of figure out what's going on. And then you would go one-on-one with each segment, with each talent, whatever, and kind of give them broad strokes of what's expected from them. You let them put stuff together, and then you come back to them later and kind of check back in with them, right? And there's some matches you there's really not a lot of direction, and then there's some where it's like we need these things to happen in this way so that we can get where we're going, right? So doing that helped prepare me for this West Coast role where I'm even more hands-on. You know, I come in the week of the show, uh, I go to the school, see who all's there. We work on whatever, anything. Uh, and then the day of the show, it's getting there early, <laughs> early as possible, and then trying to catch people as they come in and tell them, hey, this is what we were thinking, whatever. Because the more information you can give the talent um, ahead of time, the more they can sit there and authentically come up with what they would do how they would do it. And then you can kind of have conversations about what's going on. Right. It's really hard to give talent um, direction last minute and then have them still authentically pull off what you want and then also how they would do it. Right. It's tough. Um, it, but then also uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to develop without having a developmental. Right. So it's what, what areas you know, talking with a talent, like what, where do you think you need to improve? What, what would you like to get better at? And then also 
from an outside perspective, you know, asking other people, what do you know, what do you think it is? What's their biggest weakness, if you will, and how can we tighten that up or what's their biggest strength and how can we amplify that? Um, so working with talent on a show basis where you're going, you know, matches one to eight or whatever it is has prepared me for, you know, coming in and doing a couple matches for AEW or for Ring of Honor where I have much less, less responsibility. It's also not my ideas. It's not something I'm coming up with and trying to convey to the talent. It's like, hey, this is what we want. You know, let them know what we want and help them figure it out. And then getting questions from them and then seeing if I can find an answer to that and then coming back, you know, it's back and forth. Um, I just think when I eventually do come back to the ring and start having matches, um, this just better prepares me for, you know, learning different aspects of pro wrestling and different ways to do things and not being so set in your one specific way that you would do things, you know, 99 out of a hundred times. It's also being like, you know, trying different things. You never know what extra little thing you do is going to make such a big difference. Right. So, um, like with this West coast show, for instance, we've got cruel summer coming up. You mentioned the name earlier. Uh, how do we order the show? How do we, you know, what's the best way to put these matches out to the crowd? Um, what is, uh, you know, when, where do we put intermission, right? What are the, the, the lengths of these matches and who needs more time? Who needs less time? You know, who has the flexibility to kind of change that on the fly, depending on how it goes. Right. So it's, it's all a work in progress. There's no, it's funny with ex, as expansive as pro wrestling is and how many you can see over my left shoulder, there's a bookshelf that's, it's all wrestling books. You know, I've got, but there's nothing in there. There's zero books that talk about the aspect of, helping produce a pro wrestling match and the things you can do and the things that you should do, the things that will prepare you for success. So it is taking these lessons that I've learned throughout my career and then also working closely with, with others in that field to try to figure out what works for them and then trying something and making sure that you don't shit the bed. Maybe, maybe it'll be your task to write that book, Chris. Man, I have some ideas, John. I have, I have some ideas. Um, and I'm not going to say them. Um, but I will eventually, you know, hold myself accountable to, to a lot of these ideas that are in here. But there is a lot of stuff that could be out there to better prepare people for their professional wrestling career. Uh, no matter what aspect of it they're, they're looking to improve upon. But I would very much like to, to help people on their journeys. Well, Cruel Summer is going down Saturday night. It will be streaming live at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific at independentwrestling.tv. It is headlined by Titus Alexander and Vinny Massaro for the West Coast Pro mm -hmm. Heavyweight Championship. It's a very loaded card. Masha Slamovich against Trisha Dora, Brian Keith against Mao, Jeff Cobb is on the card, and maybe the best group name going right now, Lights, Camera, Faction as well. That will be in action. That's a great, yeah. great tandem name. Yeah, um... We, we like to have a little bit, you know, we've got the magenta coming in from Marvelous. You know, Chigusa has been working closely with, with West Coast and, you know, she'll be back out there. Um, Jeff Cobb, like he's a, he came up in the Bay Area prof professional wrestling scene. Um, that, that's where I, f I first met Jeff Cobb, I believe in Stockton, California at a small show out there. Um, and that was before he, you know, flew, flew to the top. Um, 
but he's a guy that has since gone and done everything and is now coming back and wrestling one of the up and coming guys, Alpha Zoe. So that's just a very personally, I really like that match. Um, We've got this uh, team called the Suavecitos. Are, are you familiar with the Suavecitos, either of you guys? No, um, but do tell us about them. They are – they're from Vegas, right? Um, they are just – they remind me of like a Latino PG-13, Okay. right? Um, they just have such attitude, right? Um, and they're teaming with uh, their guy, Adrian Quest, who's like honorary Suavecito, uh, up against Kushida – uh, um, Kevin Knight, Jet, uh, and Starboy Charlie. So we've got one of, one of our homegrowns, you know, Starboy Charlie. But then you've got Kushida coming in, Kevin Knight. Holy cow. Man. Kevin Knight and Brian Keith last show had this incredible match. Um, and I just, I was really proud that, um, the tendency in independent wrestling now is to like, all right, what does every great match have? All right. Every great match has like a trade spot. Um, you know, there's got to be a one kick out. Uh, there's got to be, a, I get dumped on my head. I pop up. I dump the guy on his head. Right. Because we've all seen these things and we've seen the insane reactions they get when they're done. Right. Right. These things aren't always done in the, with the right context and therefore they don't, uh, transfer over. It's a thing called generation loss, right? You copy something so many times, it doesn't have the same effect of the first. Right. So there's that tendency within a young wrestler that wants to go out. Uh, just you just want to do everything right you want to you want to steal the show quote unquote um but these guys were true to themselves uh they did some interesting things that they do that only they do um and they just had a really hot match you know it wasn't super long uh there weren't a million kickouts right which there's nothing wrong with a million kickouts when it's done right but i was just really proud of of those guys and it made me want to see them wrestle again, which is, it's the goal, right? But I feel like there's just some wrestling now that happens where you see the match happen and you're like, that was good, but I'm good on it for now. Like if they got Mm -hmm. announced for another match, I would not have the same excitement, but like those, those two guys, Brian Keith, uh, gosh, what can you say about him and his presentation? Uh, how solid he is. He's somebody that is a real genuine lover of pro wrestling. And I think it comes out in his work. And then Kevin Knight is a guy um, who just his, his athleticism, he literally jumps off the page. Right. Um, so he was just then, awesome in the uh, best of the super juniors uh, this past spring, like just blew me away. Like that was a fantastic tournament and he definitely was a standout in it. I think the benefit some of these guys will have going forward is the knowledgeable wrestling fan is like, if I haven't heard of them before, you know, there's probably a reason. They're probably not that good yet, right? But especially like some of these talent that come through West Coast that just haven't gotten the exposure, you're going to see them and be like, damn, where, God, where did this guy come from? Like, let me figure it out. And then you'll, of course, be able to go and YouTube and watch his first five matches of his career. Yeah, exactly. And completely ruin your impression of it. But uh, Mal coming over from DDT, you mentioned him. Um, he's, he's wrestling BK. Uh, Cobb and Zoe, Suavecitos, we mentioned them. Uh, Robert Martyr and Kevin Blackwood, right? Blackwood, you, you know that guy, Brandon, right? Yes. Head of hand training him, yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I love the variety on these shows. Um, I just, I think it's important to give fans a little bit of everything, 
right? Of course, there are, I have my tastes and what I like, uh, and Scott has his tastes and what he likes. Uh, so we just want to make sure to not give you so much of this dessert because it's my favorite dessert. We just want to, you know, kind of give you a little bit of everything. So I'm, I'm really excited for this show. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, pro wrestling music video maker named Pro Wave, right? P-U-R-O-W-A-V-E. Uh, and they do like the synth wave tracks over Japanese wrestling. And we collaborated with them, um, to kind of create a highlight for our most recent show. And oh, then I just the saw end, this. This was real yeah. cool. Yeah. So anybody watching this, uh, go check out my Twitter timeline. I've retweeted this. Uh, it's just, I'm a music video guy. I love wrestling music videos. Um, they've kind of been usurped by the GIF, right? And GIFs are great, but there's no context. There's no, um, yeah, you just kind of, you have that GIF and that's really all that you have, right? But the way that a music video can tell a story, I, I just love it, right? So they put one together. We're going to be doing more stuff with them. So if you want to get an idea of what West Coast is presenting, take a look at that. It recaps our last show, and it gives a little bit of a teaser for what to expect on this show. Um, I'm I'm really excited for, for the future of West Coast. It gives me an opportunity to um, – just stretch out a little bit and do different, different things in pro wrestling. And then just also, I'm supposed to be the wrestling genius, right? So I have to have, I have to know it all. I have to have the right answers. I have to, right? So it's putting me on the spot to see if I actually know what I'm talking about. And if I, you know, what else can I learn? What more can I um, delve into to become a more complete professional wrestling genius than just a guy that knows stuff about wrestling, right? Well, the final, final question is a super chat here from John Cena, who's putting you on the spot, asking you your favorite Wu-Tang member. Um, I've got a double answer here. Um, first is Old Dirty Bastard, right? He just, gosh, he was so uniquely him. Um, and there have been others that have come since ODB that have tried to capitalize on that same kind of energy, but no one has come close. He's just so him. Um, my second answer will be the Jizza, uh, the genius, if you will. Uh, his album liquid swords, uh, just start to finish is my favorite Wu-Tang album. Like completely. It's, it's so good. And the cool thing about that is, I got to see uh, the Jizza perform Liquid Swords in its entirety uh, at the Trocadero in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 2008. Uh, and going to this show, uh, there was a guy that opened that I was like, oh, man, that guy was really good. I, I could hear him clearly. Uh, he just had great punchlines. Let me go over to the merch table and talk to him. Talk to him. Became MySpace friends with him. <laughs> <laughs> bought a bunch of his albums and then, uh, you know, created a bit of a relationship. And that man was Viro the virus. Uh, and he created my Chris's awesome theme that I used on the independence. So it's just funny how I went to go check out a show as a fan and I ended up meeting someone, um, that would just become such an essential part of my career. Um, just that song. Um, I try, I try not to listen to it because, uh, I want it to be special when I listen to it, but it's just, um, for me, it's the perfect wrestling theme. You know, I'm biased. Any uh, any any current ones that are really uh, standing out to you, uh, Hans? You wanted to ask. Uh, favorite rappers. Um, let's see. Jid J I D Jid 
um, his album that came out last year. I loved um, Baby Keem, who is a, a cousin of Kendrick Lamar. Uh, I went to Kendrick's uh, tour last year. It was incredible. It was the first live concert I'd been to in years. Uh, great experience. And I came away from that show uh, enjoying Baby Keem much more than I did going in. So those are those are a couple that I enjoy. All right. Well, thank you for the super chats, everyone. And thank you, Chris, uh, for joining us here. Uh, it was great to uh, catch up with you again. Independentwrestling.tv. It is West Coast Pro's Cruel Summer this Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific. It will be streaming live. You can follow them at West Coast Pro and at Chris Hero on Twitter. And we will uh, we will await any uh, forthcoming news, Chris. You can come back and break the news if you're teaming with Kobashi this October or wh- whatever <laughs> it is uh, that brings you back into the ring. But uh, thanks for being so generous with your time today. John, Brandon, thank you guys so much. Uh, I wish you guys the best of luck, and we'll be in touch. Thanks. Thanks Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, there you go. Chris Hero, Brandon's 2015 opponent. And I apologize if I let more of our uh, listeners aware of, of this match, which I watched this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I wish I had, had wrestled him a couple of years later when I was a little bit better. I, I I think you uh I, I think you undervalue yourself, Brandon. I think you you had a nice heel presence to yourself in this. It's uh it's a whole other world of Brandon Thurston at this time. But is it, is it a different version than the one I, I give you usually? Yes, yes. I'll be I'll, I will think twice next time I reach out my hand to sh- to shake uh, next time I see you, which might be in Detroit. I guess the next time I, I see you. So that's right. Summerslam. Yes, the pay per view tour begins. Uh. So anyway, we had a, a great interview there with Chris Hero and wanted to talk about a couple of news items before we wrap things up here. If you want to get in the super chat before the end of the show, you can do so. But let's start off with collision numbers. Brandon, uh, down in week three, they did 452,000 viewers and a 0.13. And there were some alarming declines here. But um, as you pointed out in your report, and let's give the, the ratings uh, deliverer now, Brandon Thurston at uh, WrestleNomics. A, a giant drop in men 18 to 34 and almost identical figures to rampage from the night prior, like within a couple thousand in every category. Yeah. I felt I had to, m- to mention rampage in the tweet because the numbers are so similar. It's and if you crazy. At- like we're talking a difference of 2000 viewers and the same demo rating as, yeah. as which was a good rampage number, but yeah, this, this yeah. is not what collision is aspiring to. Yeah, it's this has to be the floor, I would think, for Collision if it's going to really have an added value for AEW's deal with WBD, which I'm, you know, we believe they haven't re-upped with WBD yet, and 
I think the ratings for collision have to play out here to determine at least somewhat into the value of a future deal. Um, but yeah, the, the, the numbers for Rampage are just strikingly similar. The P18 to 49 in terms of actual viewers is only 1,000 yeah. viewers difference. Um, yeah, a huge fall in especially men 18 to 34. So you think younger men who, you know, we mentioned the casual fan a little while ago. I, I, when, when it comes to these, these big numbers, especially AEW, but I think it's true for W2, uh, without, you know, doing a bunch of math right now. When there's a big increase in viewership, say, I don't know, after the, after WrestleMania, uh, the big debuts for AEW shows or the increases that they have for big episodes, I think it's usually driven by younger viewers. And I want to say, especially male viewers. And those are the people I, we think about as being the hardcore fan who I think is maybe just more selective about what they watch. We can come up with theories for why that might be, but, but that's what happened here. This, this 18 to 34 for men measured at just 11,000 viewers. There's a Nielsen sample, so it's kind of volatile, especially when we're looking at these smaller demos. But compare to, that to, to put the, that number in perspective, okay? Like, forget yeah. comparisons to wrestling shows. They did 11,000 in men 18 to 34. Dark Side of the Ring last Tuesday did 10,000 in males 18 to 34. So we're talking about, like, a Dark Side of the Ring level for men 18 to 34. Right. right. It, it, yeah, it's, uh, and the first collision did 40, nope, did 125,000 in, in that department. Obviously that's way up. And then it went down to 61. So anyway, big, big drop in especially younger viewers. And we're at like a median age of 54 here, which is, you know, on the level of dynamite, I guess. Um, so we'll see how it goes. It, it has to go up from here or, or at least level out here. And it's not as if I, I have the quarter hour report out there too. And it's not as if like it started out strong and declined. It's, it's pretty stable. It's a pretty stable to our trend. And they just started out with a lot fewer viewers. Um, I mean, this correlated with, I think everyone's thought on the interest going into week three. Like this did not, like, I, I don't the, think the, the tape nature was a, no, uh, I don't think so. Like to me, if you had something hot, it would have um, negated the tape. We said SmackDown that was taped that it did a great number, granted on a much shorter delay. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you remember the dynamite on the Wednesday, which is your, I think, biggest uh, chance to promote collision. No mention of CM Punk going into Saturday. It was then just later revealed he would be on commentary, which I don't think is going to sway. But there's also the other argument of like, like CM Punk cannot be in a marquee match every single week. And if that's going to be the difference between this and maybe this is an extreme, I do not see this coming Saturday's collision falling below this. At least it shouldn't. I think it'd be very concerning if this is not the the lowest of the first four episodes. Um, but it it does tell you like where where the attrition is among your audience. And I can state just for myself personally, like it is it is a mountain of wrestling to consume every week and when you're talking about a saturday night um it is going to impact that that younger viewership unless you have something so special that it's going to offset other other options other entertainment options that that you have for a saturday night yeah and i also tweeted the the numbers that we do know out of the weekly top 200 reruns what were the movies doing that were previously in the saturday night 8 p.m time slot and this is right at the cusp so it's got to do better than this so there you go. That is the, the collision number, not, not the, uh, the greatest of news for that. Um, we also had, uh, a series of press releases just before we went on the show. So maybe WWE and AEW, they're starting to, uh, check out when, when, know. when are Pollock and Thurston on? Let's get our press releases out. So the first we'll start off with is money in the bank sets record for highest grossing arena event in WWE history. 
Today, money uh, they announced that Money in the Bank, which emanated from the O2 in London on Saturday, became the most successful and highest grossing Money in the Bank of all time. Notably, Money in the Bank set a new record for highest grossing event arena event in WWE history, and Friday Night SmackDown from the O2 became the highest grossing SmackDown of all time with a combined gate of more than 5.4 million viewers. Other business notes they added was that viewership. Yes, sorry, $5.4 million. Uh, Viewership jumped 17% from last year's record and surpassed the last UK premium live event, which was Clash at the Castle last September by 30%. Sponsorship revenue was up 9% versus the record set in 2022. And I mean, just looking at that viewership stat, I mean, that would you know, back any argument people have against, you know, primetime airing of this in North America versus an afternoon airing that to me, I didn't think was going to be a factor and it didn't bear out that way yeah. either. Like this was, yeah, a- I hadn't thought of that. That's true. It's, I'm sure money in the bank last year aired at, you know, 8 PM. Right. Um, and, and this one did still last year was the Vegas show. Yeah. Which aired, um, it, that was the same night as the UFC pay-per-view because that was the card that, uh, Vince McMahon famously, uh, left money in the bank and made his way to watch Israel Adesanya against Jared Cannonier in, uh, everything in the midst of the allegations and such yes. making a, a public appearance at a UFC event. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, when we look at these numbers year over year, these viewership numbers that, that they give us, which is not telling us any number of viewers, but it's saying, oh, it's X percent better than last year. This is with the benefit of Peacock having more subscribers in this year versus right. last year. Maybe that's going to level out sometime this year, but remains to be seen. And the, uh, the gate numbers are, are very believable. I'm not doubting that they're, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're being accurate in their press release, at least including fees, $5.4 million. So the record that I think that that broke would be, um, as, as an arena event, they're saying this is the most, this is the highest gate for any arena event in WB history. Of course, that's not adjusting for inflation, but WrestleMania 22 in 2006, two and a half million dollars. And also in around two and a half million dollars was the 2008 SmackDown in the O2. So those are the records that I believe they're breaking there. So this is, I think all of this ties into a really unique public push that the WWE is making for the UK market on a number of fronts and highlighted by the John Cena segment on Saturday at the, at the event. And since that time, um, there has been some coverage of WrestleMania potentially going to London and Alex Davies Jones, who is the co-chair of the all party parliamentary group. Like this was the group that sort of formed out of the speaking out movement as sort of trying to put together safeguards and to oversee the independent scene and kind of provide an oversight for professional wrestling and to the BBC, like they are just putting themselves right behind WWE uh, to help them in any way possible to make sure that they get top dollar to come over for WrestleMania. And I don't mean AJ Francis, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) revenue wise, but I mean, this is, is it's not exactly what, the game plan was for WWE to hopefully get uh public support and hopefully your fan base. And in the case of this, like um, a push for politicians that this is a, an event that London needs to have. This is how could you possibly not bring WrestleMania to London and deprive our fan base of this great event that we have now dangled in front of you. Yes. Member of parliament, Alex Davies Jones, not to be confused with Alex Jones. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very big distinction. I, I, I noticed in the tweet that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading this tweet like, oh man, this is exactly what they want. WPR is probably loving this. And then she mentioned AEW in the same, you know, in the same tweet. So I'm curious Not to see that, that WWE PR retweet. Curious to see if that shows up on, um, 
on uh, SmackDown or something like that with, with a certain line blurred out. You're right. Um, so yeah, it's, um, this is exactly what they wanted, I think, out of this segment. I mean, always told me that, but that seems what it, it, to be what it was. You know, I've, I've thought about this, this notion that, you know, I, I think Dave Meltzer said this at some point, you know, that, that, Maybe Vince sees it this way. And anyway, you want to promote, you know, as a promoter, you want to not necessarily, you don't want to give people what they don't want. You don't want to give people exactly what they want, but you want to make them want what you want to maximize the economic results. And this segment, I think, really hit that in a way that we usually doesn't in terms of manipulating the situation exactly in their favor to their economic advantage. And, you know, there's a BBC article. That's exactly what you want. And they want to, as Nikana said, they want to get a site fee for all 12 or so of their PLEs. We know that some of them this year have $1.5 million for Puerto Rico and backlash, some amount of money for Royal Rumble in San Antonio. We know Orlando's willing to bid $150,000 for Rumble next year, January. Uh, obviously, the Saudi Arabia government's paying $50 million every time they go there. So this, this is what they want. And if they can drum up a, a, you know, a bidding war for WrestleMania. I mean, that should be the biggest, other than Saudi Arabia, I guess, that should have the biggest site fee of all. So, um, and I imagine with the UK TV deal coming up, which is expiring at the end of 2024, I think it probably sounds good when you're renegotiating a TV deal to say, hey, you could have WrestleMania in your country in the term of the next deal. I think all of that ties in together. Like this is a very key strategic push. And I, I think the Wembley Stadium show with AEW I think it's it's rolled into this. I don't think it is the break motivating right. factor, but it's extra that they can potentially, uh, you know, you know, AEW is going to get a lot of tremendous coverage this summer in that part of the world uh, for this giant event that uh, WrestleTix is now listing seventy four thousand eight hundred and eighty eight tickets distributed. So they are now within shooting distance of that WrestleMania thirty two number of just over eighty thousand that they drew at. AT&T Stadium, and that is without any matches announced so far. So we will see if there is still movement uh, to this Wembley Stadium show. But what what is your understanding of this, give or take 10,000 increase from the last number that we had out there? I believe WrestleTix has the paid, I don't know if you're looking at it, as about 67,000. You know, is that, that the, people, the paid figure? I believe so. Um, no, I mean, I trust what he's doing there with the, with the, the dots. Um, they're apparently comping a lot of tickets, if that's accurate. You know, something in, in the order of, of almost 10,000, I think that the difference is there. About the number you said is 74. 74,888 is distributed. Yeah. So that's what, that's about seven, 8,000 comps. I mean, comp rate is usually like 5 to 10%, something like that. So I think that falls in that range. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I'm, I'm looking up what I reported here in. 2017 about the the attendance for WrestleMania 32 in, in Arlington. Eight, the drop count was 80,709. So just short of 81,000. Of course, they announced it as 101,763. So, rounding uh, error. Yes. Ticket takers and ushers and things of that nature has been said. Um, Anyone with a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see. They, AEW did announce an attendance that was you know not consistent with the WrestleTix estimate for the pay-per-view, the for Forbidden Door. So We'll see if they announce some fictitious number to, to, cause you got to get it higher, closer to a 101, maybe. If it truly is over 80,000, I, I don't know. I just want to know, just tell me in advance, give me 10 days notice of when we are going to re-enter the WrestleMania three attendance debate. 
Yes, we're 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 headed there. In, we're going uh, there, aren't we? Late August, I think. Yes, we're co- it's coming. Uh, so there you have it. Um, as well, uh, Battle of the Belts Seven, as Tony Khan mentioned when he was on with Brandon and I a few weeks ago. Battle of the Belts will continue, and it's listed on the TNT schedule for July the fifteenth, uh, right after Collision at ten p.m. Eastern. So you would think that this is going to be live from the Calgary tapings. I guess there's a way yeah. they they could tape it on the Wednesday, but it would make most sense to be. Part of Calgary's that Calgary in what table. time zone? Mountain time zone. So that's Mountain time zone. Yes. So it's a so not two so hours behind the eastern. There. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> July fifteenth. Just to put it that out for everyone. So this is the day the G one starts. You have Collision. You have Impact Slammiversary pay per view. You have Triple Mania with Vikingo against Kenny Omega. And now we're throwing on Battle of the Belts on top of Collision for a three hour AEW block. Um, so good luck having a life if you are trying to keep up with wrestling or um, try if to cover this for a little Or if you're the host of, uh, of post-wrestling. Yes. Yeah, this is just, it's wild. Like this July 15th date, but this is becoming every weekend as, as we, as we see. Um, yeah. Battle of the belts. We will see what the makeup of this is, but I, I mean, we're three weeks into collision and it would certainly tell you that from attendance to numbers, like there is by far a saturation point and we are, This is the conflict of more content is the name of the game, but at the same time, how much of your audience is being impacted by this? And we had, we didn't even talk about this, like a surprisingly low dynamite number last week, whether that was a fluke and they bounced back this week, but you are coming off that pay-per-view and doing its lowest demo in three years. Does any of this additional product impact the Wednesday number that has been your flagship that has been uh, that that is carrying you into this rights deal like it, this is dynamite and collision is an unproven entity yeah and in the time of the year I guess doesn't help um now showbiz is gone but but in in the final days of showbiz which was at the, end of the last month um I I kind of run the numbers all together and adjusted for time and it was on the low end and it's going to be on the low end in, in the summer months you do see generally lower ratings in the summer months, but it wasn't like at an all time low, there were some numbers this year that were in the same range. Um, so, I mean, I, I have seen, which I've not reported yet. I have seen the, the WWE A and E ratings, which are on the low side for sure. I think the most wanted treasures is near its lowest number. And the stone cold show was, I think the lowest it has done. Um, so Maybe there's some some broader thing happening here, but I mean, this is a. I don't think you can you, you have enough excuses here to dismiss, you know, a, a point one three in the demo. And AEW has announced that VIX, the world's leading Spanish language streaming service owned by Televisa Univision, a top American and top American professional wrestling promoter, AEW, not one of the top, the top American professional wrestling promoter, AEW, announced a multi-year agreement that will bring AEW's premium matches and entertainment exclusively to VIX subscribers in Mexico, as well as countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. AEW is the new professional wrestling league that is taking the world by storm with its meteoric rise, record-breaking viewership ratings, a world-class roster of stars, as well as highly entertaining, high-quality product. So this will be uh, covering Dynamite, Rampage and Collision, 
that will be available on this uh, VIX streaming service. And these will be uh, live broadcasts of the three shows of AEW. The exclusive transmission agreement also includes several special wrestling events, such as the quarterly Battle of the Belt specials, popular pay-per-view events on a 30-day delay, and more than 190 episodes with commentary in Spanish of AEW Dark and Dark Elevation. All these specials will be available on the AVOD service of the streaming platform. So, I mean, no more fight. I heard the, the, the exclusive word. Um, but this is replacing space, which has not been carrying AEW for a while now, I believe. Yes. So, um, there you have it. If you are in, uh, any of the Latin American, Caribbean or, uh, or in Mexico itself, uh, that will be your, your platform of choice to, uh, to, to follow. So if any of you use us, give us any feedback on how, on how this, uh, works out for them. And the last note, uh, before we, uh, wrap things up, um, well, is there anything else you wanted to touch upon, Brandon? I don't think so. We covered a lot here in a, yes. in a short amount of time. Ah, that was my question that I was going to ask you. Raw in Buffalo next week. Will you yes. be attending? At I'm not the, planning. I'm the not Key planning Bank Center, I believe. Yes. Yes. Uh, no, I'm not planning on, on going to, uh, Raw in Buffalo. I, you, you can never. The no DQ match between Tommaso Ciampa, a man that headlined that July, that, happening that June Monday? 20th, 2015 card. Uh, yes, he will be taking on the Miz in a no DQ match. Okay. Well, I'll, uh, I'll have to. Logan Paul in the house as well. Really? He's going to be yes. in Buffalo. Okay, He's going to be going face to face with Ricochet. They're going to stand in a ring face to face and talk. I may or may not be there, but one thing's for sure. I will definitely be listening to Rewind Raw as soon as it's over. The perfect answer from Brandon Thurston. And you can all check out WrestleNomics every Sunday now available at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And Brandon will be joined as always by Chris Gullo and Jesse Collings and I don't know what's going to be coming up this Sunday. That's the great thing about your show, Brandon, is that we don't know what is going to be setting the world ablaze on Saturday night. That will require instant analysis on Sunday morning. Well, in AW ratings crisis, that's a fire that it takes a long time to put out. So I'm sure we'll touch on that and whatever else is in the news between then and now. This is, this is for subscribers only for the first, the first week here. So this is a big deal. So if you're not a subscriber, it will not be available to you. But if you are a subscriber, it will be available to you and it will be live Sunday, 11 video and audio. Yes. And. What has your experience been the first couple of days in the post showbuzz daily world? I, I, I do miss the, the rankings and, and the such, but, world. but you're a valuable resource, Brandon. I mean, you are, um, uh, a much needed, um, and I think Wade, Wade Keller is, is, uh, reporting independently ratings too. Yes. So he's, yes. he's out there too. With him. So yeah, did, we, you, we, you know what, um, there. do you know what collision did on Saturday night at midnight on TSN two in Canada? It's not TSN five. It was TSN two. They uh okay. they, they get the bounce around here. They did a mere five thousand viewers on five Saturday night at midnight. So you're missing out on some some great social media engagement by not tweeting those numbers out. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not. You have to you have to go to the site to find out these numbers. So that's uh that's where they are. I just uh I'm not a comments off type of person, and I just I, I can't I can't imagine the uh the outrage uh, that, that would come with that. So do go follow patreon.com slash WrestleNomics as well. Uh, myself and Wei Ting, we just put out a show covering Supercard of Honor 2013 featuring Jay Briscoe and Kevin Steen in the main event in a completely different era of Ring of Honor and professional wrestling as a whole. And you wouldn't believe it, but a seamless stream they had that night until the finishing sequence of Kevin Steen and Jay Briscoe, where they had buffering issues uh, that night over WrestleMania weekend. So we will go back to ROH's history and their very problematic iPay-Per-View setup that plagued them for years. And, and a must-listen-to TK <laughs> impression from John Pollock. 
we may or may not have replicated a, a, a conference call with, uh, with Tony Khan. So you can all check that out. And Brandon and I will be back next week. So check out all of Brandon's fine work on Twitter out there. Don't leave him angry comments because he's not going to give you that option. Don't, don't think you can, you can get to him. Okay. He puts out the information and how you receive that information. That's on you. But thank you to Chris Hero for joining us. Check out Cruel Summer this Saturday night. And for the Super Chats, for those tuning in live, thank you very much. And we'll speak with you next week. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly... Everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.